If you've been listening to my show, you know that the importer on the back of the bottle is one of the surest ways to guarantee a quality bottle of wine. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Taub Family Selections. Taub Family Selections is a dynamic, fourth-generation, family-owned wine import company with a truly incredible portfolio of fine wines from 11 countries. These wines not only embody the unique terroir in which they are produced, but the passion and integrity of each family member involved from vineyard to table. Notable estates include Mastro Berardino, Bertani, Travellini, Ferrari, Coldorcia, Trimbach, Jean-Luc Colombo, Jean-Michel Jarin, among many other renowned producers. They also have from Bordeaux, Lafitte Rothschild from the left bank, and on the right bank, they have Chateau Lafleur. I'm telling you, these guys have it all. To find out even more, go to TaubFamilySelections.com. That's T-A-U-B, FamilySelections.com. The Napa Valley Wine Academy understands that wine can be complex. However, they believe that wine education shouldn't be. Whether you're looking to advance your career in wine or just be more confident when opening a restaurant's wine list, the Napa Valley Wine Academy offers the instruction and support you need to achieve your wine education goals. With the Napa Valley Wine Academy, you are in expert hands. They have received three global awards for excellence, have 18 expert instructors on staff, 35 course options, and have served over 25,000 students. If you want to learn in a hands-on immersive wine experience, go to NapaValleyWineAcademy.com to learn more. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is former banker turned wine importer and founder of VOS Selections, Victor O. Schwartz. Victor initially worked in the banking sector on loans, stocks, and bonds before transitioning to the wine industry. Victor's upbringing was steeped in an intense culinary culture. And in 1986, Victor moved to France to jumpstart his wine career. Uh, VOS Selection has been a staple in the wine industry for over 35 years. Welcome, Victor. Great to be here, MJ. Well, thank you for coming in. Tell us about the wines we're drinking this evening. Well, uh, we're starting here with champagne. Perfect way to start any any party. Uh, it's a Blanc de Blanc from Domaine uh, Alexandre Bonnet. Uh, kind of interesting because they're, this is the part of Champagne that's closer to Burgundy than it is to, to Champagne. Okay. Uh, so it's all Pinot Noir. Oh. Mmm. That's tasty. Very full body. Yeah, very full body. I Cote like de Bar has its own style. Yeah. Um, mm. Awesome. Um, I should also point out, talk about Alexander Bonnet, they feel like they're in the Grand Cru of the Cote de Bar. So like, this is, I brought two wines today, and I feel like one is sort of like the past and one's the future. Okay. And I think these guys have really got it going on, and they're really focusing on the terroir of Le Risset. Okay. Which I think is a really interesting aspect of what they're doing. Um, that's really cool. I mean, Champagne is in a bit of a – I don't know if it – but it's, 
bit of a renaissance, I think. I mean, people are sure. People are, and and the reason why I say that, and you know, you would know because you've been doing this for a long time. Um, people are now seeing it as a wine. They're really getting that champagne as wine, and we're drinking out of wine glasses, and we're drinking out, and not yeah, out of and, champagne, and we, and we don't drink out of flutes anymore, or yeah. or Mary Antoinette's right little breast boobies, cup. yeah, boobies. Um, uh, <laughs> um, and people, and they're pairing it right, and like it's become really. I mean, champagne with fried foods is ridiculous, you know. So, so many foods. What? No, champagne and fried chicken. Perfect. It's it's like how, how about how about champagne at, at a Korean restaurant? Oh my god! I mean, there's nothing better, no. and even better, rosé champagne. Yes, rosé with. Um, oh my god! Rosé with barbecue. Yeah, I mean, it can handle the spice. It, can, it, it yep. does everything. Handles the smoke. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. it's um, no. I think champagne's becoming much more interesting. Yeah, and what what's it about? It's all about terroir. Right, and with with the smaller guys coming up. And they've got their own little plots, just like you know, in the rest of France. Yeah, they they're farming their their little section of the world. There's more focus on the different terroirs. So nowadays, you can talk about the Côte de Bar, the Côte de Blanc, the Montagne de Reims, in a different way. If you're talking about Veuve Clicquot, you just go, "Oh, it's Veuve Clicquot. Right. It's like a perfume." Yeah, you know, it's like, okay, that's what it is, beginning and end. Right. So as as smaller guys are coming up and doing their thing, it's it it's becomes exciting. a much more interesting yeah. terroir driven. And like you said, it's more vinous than it is just, oh, it's champagne. Right. Love it. So we like to start at the beginning. You are from Jersey. You're Jersey? New Jersey. All right. Where where in Jersey are you from? I was born in Elizabeth General Hospital. Oh, wow. Yes. So I grew up, well, I was a little kid in Elizabeth, and then we just moved next door to Hillside. Okay. And The fancy I, suburb, I guess. <laughs> and what was that like growing up in uh, Hillside, New Jersey? Well, it was nice. I mean, you could ride your bike anywhere, you know, in the summer, and there's... A good humor man, and it was a cute little little town. And, and and you could get and you could walk two blocks and get the bus to New York. Okay. The forty nine bus took you into New York in thirty minutes. You could basically sneak off and get into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was a ni- nice location. Yeah, yeah. So I understand that your parents were stationed in Germany after World War Two. Yeah, my my dad was a physician. Okay, and. uh they were in Baumholder, some kind of out of the way place in Germany. But I think it really, um, it really changed their lives, at least from a culinary perspective. You know, they're a couple of depression Bronx kids. Okay. And next thing you know, they're in this foreign country and the dollar was king and you could travel around and eat like, you know, eat like a prince. And, and they brought that back with them and they really became very, uh, immersed in wine and food. And my mom really took it off, took off from there. Yeah, yeah. We said in your intro that you you uh, your family was steeped in culinary culture. So, like, what's a typical Sunday at uh, the was, Schwartz household? It was, was insane. Like? like, people would come over and like freak out because my mom really really got into it. I mean, she made things like beef Wellington. She we we would go into Chinatown and buy all the ingredients. And you, if you came to my house, and this is in like you know late 60s, mm-hmm. you know, you had to use chopsticks. And people are going, I'm not using chopsticks. You know, we were eating raw fish and people completely freaked out. Like, raw fish? You, you can't do that. I mean, now it's like you eat raw fish, you get it at the Grand Union, you know? But like, I know. Gas, you, you get sushi, I mean, but it's, it's like, sushi at a gas station. Believe, people could, yeah, exactly. Gas, gas you know, a little gas station sushi. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it was, it was like that. My mom would travel everywhere to get the ingredients. We'd go down to Elizabeth Port, had a Big Italian section. Mm-hmm. We travel upstate to get butter. I mean, she was, was kind of crazy, <laughs> but you know that, that craziness was fun too. You know, so 
all kinds of all kinds of dishes from all over the world. She was very experimental. And, you know, at that time, you had like James Beard and Julia Child. So, you know, all that was the culinary culture in America was emerging. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, she really, she really took off from that. And she was very opinionated. <laughs> so she, she had her, you know, she, she had her favorites and those she didn't like, but she would try anything. And uh, it was all about ingredients. She, I mean, again, talking about, she was so far ahead of her time. She, she had two butchers because you can never trust one butcher. Mm. And she'd have them hang meat for her. And it had to be six weeks. So your mom she had like a German butcher and an Austrian butcher, wow. and they would say, like, you know, you, you, you know, you have to pay in advance for that, okay? Because you know all the all the loss, no problem. And you didn't you didn't mess with her because if she found out you didn't hang it for six weeks, like, don't mess. <laughs> but that was like the most amazing steaks you ever tasted. Still in my head, like that that sets the bar. That's insane. Oh, she your was insane. Was and again, but steaks. now, but now it's like, oh yeah, you know, dry age. Oh, yeah. Of course, you can, you know, you go whatever the the cool hipster right. butcher down the corner, they right. do that for you. With all the tats and yeah, you got to have tats. The I mean, these guys are just old old Germans. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a big German community in uh, in in our in Union, New Jersey, mm-hmm. had a big German community. Um, and what about the wine? Like, uh, did your family have a wine cellar? When well, you again, that was like my mom's purview. Okay. And. Uh, well, the wine cellar. <laughs> the wine cellar was like the crawl space under the kitchen, you know. Yeah, yeah. But like we found whatever kind of cool space. Um, she, she didn't have that part of it down. But, you know, in those days, this is whatever, you know, mid mid to late 60s. She got a local store in Elizabeth and said, you know, I, I want to buy some Petrus and some Latour, you know, because she would read about these things. And, mm-hmm. and, and the guy said, really, you want those? Okay, I'll get them. You know, they're going to cost six bucks a bottle. Because, you know, wine was like a buck fifty those Dude, days, right? I and it's know. like, you know, I remember Petrus was 20 bucks and Lafitte was about 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I've off heard, the charts now, but, you know, and yeah. she would just buy that stuff. You bought oh, 61, 62, that's yeah. fine. I heard that was a good year. And he'd say, okay, I'm going to order that for you, Mrs. Schwartz. Okay, that's fine. I heard like, um, <laughs> like, like DRC, like you couldn't give it away. Like people, no, people no. had no yeah. clue. They wanted their. Carlo Rossi, yeah, their Almaden, yeah, and, and you Matus. think about it, you know, these stores really were, they were selling booze. Yeah, it was look, they were they liquor were, stores. I mean, look <laughs> at the history of Sherry Lehman. Look at any of these stores now, like you know, very fancy wine shops. Right. People in America drank booze. No, we had John Capon on. He was saying like when his when his grandfather, yeah, there's an old like, store. They were they were they were like they're like. What? You don't have every type of schnapps? Like people come like they'd be mad. Every if, flavor. If, every yeah. flavor schnapps. Yeah. You, you, you're yeah. out of blackberry schnapps. Ah, they would be like right. Right. just right. disgusted with you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this. What kind of story is what, what, this? Uh, you're serious? What kind of establishment you're running here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a different world. It was a different world there. And you so you could really experiment and buy things and they were the they were red Bordeaux, white burgundy people. Yeah. They were like, that oh, was our thing. Okay. And uh you know, we had good wines. That's 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 bananas. Not that I knew shit. I mean, come on. I was doing well, ten know, years but, old. But I mean, still. it was like, but it's like, okay, these were around, but it, it got more and more fun. Yeah, you know, as as I got into it. That's so. I mean, just I love stories like this where like you know, six dollars a bottle, or even or even twenty bucks a but bottle for pet juice. I know, right? Like, it just, should be. You should be able to just drink it and not worry I know. about it. You know, not be like it's just wine. It is. It's not it's that. Food. It's not that hectic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not that hectic. <laughs> Um, so interesting enough, um, when it came time to go off to university, you went yeah. to Cornell, yeah, but you didn't go to the school of hospitality. No, that was dumb. <laughs> I did everything. You dumb. majored in finance, right? <laughs> oh, cause I thought I was smart. 
I mean, don't you think you're smart when you're that age? You know, oh, you think, yeah. okay, that's right. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get a major in economics and then I'm going to work in the banking world and I'll get it all together. You know, you think you're trying to figure out a path. You know, you don't know. <laughs> I hated it. Oh, God. I took every class outside of my major. That's so I awesome. worked at the hotel school one summer. Oh, did you? Great summer. Well, Cornell should, they should only be open in the summer, actually, because winters are, you know, oh my horrendous God, brutal. up there. Brutal. Yeah, brutal. But, and, and everyone's, oh, you gotta spend a summer up there. So I spent, uh, I spent a summer up there and I, I worked at the hotel school, you know, in the, the cafeteria. Greatest summer ever. It's, it's so beautiful up there. Yeah. It's just one of the most spectacular spots on the planet. Yeah. And so here you go. You go to Cornell. Yeah. <clears throat> you major in finance. But you don't go to work on Wall Street. What do you do? Well, no. When I, I did eventually get, I did work in banking. I okay. worked for Union Bank. I moved to California. Okay, but yeah, you, like you know. So I did think, that, right? But you, so you moved to why'd you move to uh, San Francisco? Was it to San Francisco? Why'd you move to San Francisco versus come, uh, versus L.A. or New York versus New York? Because everyone's going to New York. I'm always like I could do my own thing. I had to get away. So what year? Was, I had to like see what it was. What years were you there? So that was 1980. I moved there. Plus, I was seeing a girl I'd met in New York. Previous summer, I was working in banking in New York. Uh, okay. And, uh, you know, it was really kind of a joke job that kind of paid a lot. So I, yeah, I was walking around. I met this woman in Central Park and we ended up becoming pretty tight for a long time. And she was from San Francisco. She was a dancer. So that kind of eased the way <laughs> to go out there. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting some, some short guys, some stink uh, guys uh, over uh, here. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, but I did, I did want to, I wanted, I wanted to experience some different place. I get it. And uh, I had been – we traveled a lot when I was growing up and uh, we had been through San Francisco and it struck me like I like the idea of being in a city and like everyone from Cornell was going to New York. It just seemed right. really boring. Right. right. So I just wanted to see something different. And what was San Francisco like in the 80s? Because first of all, I mean like mm. it, this is like pre-tech bubble. I mean, oh, had a couple yeah. Of, but, like, it was no, no, no. It was pre. Qua- World- quasi, quasi-affordable probably back then. It was quasi-affordable. Uh, I was working in banking, so that was cool. And I lived right downtown, lived lived off of Polk Street, very, you know, cutting-edge gay area. <laughs> um, uh, they rolled up the carpets at 930. That kind of freaked me out. <laughs> There were like some cool spots in the mission. Very few. The mission yep. hadn't happened yet. Yep, yep. But uh, like the restaurants closed 930 on a Saturday night. Whoa. It, yeah. It was really – it was pokey. It was pokey. So, I mean, I look back on it fondly. There were things I, you know, eventually did not like about living in California. Like you're not allowed to have an opinion. Um <laughs> They, they, you know, once you, once you say, once you express an opinion about like anything, oh, oh, I really, really, now that movie really, that, that was okay, but you know, that actor, but you must be from New York. That's so funny. <laughs> That's the first thing I'd say to you. You're from New York. You have an opinion. That just made me nuts. Like everyone's just like chill. Yeah. At least on the surface. Incredible Asian restaurants there. That just blew oh my me God. away. <clears throat> Every little corner of the Far East, there would be yeah. a restaurant from that place and it was fabulous. That was something that I had not experienced. Even though we had, you know, I grew up like around Chinese food and Japanese food, but it was like in the generic sense, sure. not in the specific sure. sense. Sure, sure, And that was great. I really loved that. So the, the food culture was, that was more interesting actually than the, there, you know, Chez Panisse was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was interesting. That was happening. Um, and I think the Asian food culture was really cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, if people don't realize. Actually, I was watching something yesterday and um, the impact of the uh, 
particularly Chinese immigrants mm-hmm. in California. Oh yeah, the railroad. But but actually, um, there was this wine thing I was watching, and a uh, a lot of Chinese immigrants dug out a lot of those original wine cobs. Oh, that's surprised. Yeah, right. That was cheap labor. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. But you know, it's 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 like. It's like shit you don't even think about, you know what I mean? Like, no. And then you go like, oh, that that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we are all about cheap labor in this country. All about it. All where, where we can <laughs> we're about it, about it. <laughs> but now we don't want it, though, right? We're right. putting up walls. <laughs> yeah, that that's gonna work. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you're working in finance. I'm banking, working in finance. Yeah. And um, commercial lending, middle market. Okay. Uh, five to ten million dollar loans. Yeah. A lot of real estate. Yeah. And international. I got a taste for international. And that I thought was really cool. Like letters of credit and that kind of thing. Yeah. I thought that was really, really People don't know the way the world fucking works. It's amazing. No. You saw the sausage getting made. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, and that, I, that was cool. Yeah. I worked yeah. I worked in banking for like a year now. But like people like – you're like, oh my god. Like and, – and I have a friend who's worked in it for years. Same thing. Like there's people who do like – you know, he does like institutional lending, 25 to 50 Yeah, really million. specific. Yeah, yeah. I mean like – the world is an interesting place behind the scenes. And you're like, why are you banging me for an overdraft fee? <laughs> oh, you are, that's how you start. You learn by doing overdraft. Exactly. That's like the basis of credit. Right. Should I let this guy bounce his check or, or <laughs> let him pay the check? I, I got to decide. It was – oh, some unpleasant phone calls you had to make. <laughs> Sorry, Mrs. Jones. Your car payment's going to get bounced. Yeah, not good. So what was the moment where you were like, oh, oh. enough, Ajita? Yeah, I can tell you. It was the time I, I finally, you know, I worked in different offices around San Francisco. I worked out in uh, Oakland Airport. I worked down in Palo Alto because they're moving you up through a program. And I got my big chance. I'm working in the downtown San Francisco office, beautiful office. And the guy that's running the office, the big cheese there, calls me in. I go, call me into the office. Like, this is, this is not going to be good. <laughs> Because um, Victor, you know, you know, the work you're doing is good. You know, all the loan write-ups and all that's fine. But getting some complaints about your ties. What the fuck? Your ties. I mean, I'm wearing a suit every day. A suit, not a sport coat. A suit every day. Conservative suit. But you know, I had a little fun with my ties, right? Like <laughs> I wore, but I was wearing a tie. And like, you got a problem with my tie, like. I knew, is- I knew I was in the wrong place. Cause like, if you, I'm wearing a suit, but the tie was too outrageous. I, this, I mean, this doesn't fit me. And people think like, and like you said earlier, like people think it's Northern California, hate Ashbury. Blah, no, blah. super conservative. Oh, and, no, no, and no. Fucking, like, no, no, no. You got called in cause no. your tie. Cause my tie. And it's, that, that was, that was a seminal moment. <laughs> that was. Yeah, so then you start, you know, you, you start finding ways to, to goof off, you know, if you're in the wrong place, you know. Well, we had a great, we, we, one of the great things was you're always taking clients out to lunch. Right. And so that was fun. <laughs> so, you, you know, he's like, I'm going to use my budget and go to some nice place for lunch. And there were some good places there, Compton Place, yeah. There were some really nice, nice restaurants there. So, like, okay, I'll use the budget for that. Have a good time. But I, I wasn't motivated. And frankly, the kind of work we were doing, it was like kind of too easy. Okay. You realize how just how conservative, like if you you couldn't bring a really interesting deal to the bank, so it wasn't it wasn't that just that motivating intellectually or yeah. any other way, you know. Institutions are funny like that. Yeah, and there was like a fitting in thing. Yeah, and I was always getting into trouble, <laughs> saying the wrong thing to the wrong person. You know, 
you realize even though like you're at a party, like you have to be still right. controlled. Yeah, 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 That's right, like, right, right, right. and I didn't understand that. I was, I was you're like, it's, it's six thirty, bro. <laughs> we're drinking we're and drinking this and that, but like, but you know, but everything that happened somehow got back to Big Brother, and it's like, oh fuck. So yeah, he, you know, whatever. <laughs> Whatever. I'm not going to go. Even worse stuff than that. But, but yeah, it wasn't a good fit for me. So, um, 1984, you started a mail order catalog of California wine. No, I wanted to. Okay. And that was okay. the thing I okay. wish so, I had so, done. So, okay. There was a, a business development officer who was from Napa. Okay. And he was into wine. And I, you know, one of the things that was great about me moving to California was, we didn't have any California wines in my house growing up. It was all, all right, Europe. Right. And I started going, whoa, you know, there's some good wines out here. And, and also it was great because it was developing my own palate. Not that I was doing that on purpose. I was just like enjoying drinking wine, you know, <laughs> but it was kind of like fun to like experiment and learn in this whole other area of wine that I had never, never experienced. So we were talking and it's like, wow, you know, I don't think these kinds of wines are getting distributed around the country. And, you know, I'd be going back and forth to New York all the time, see my family, whatever, Thanksgiving or something. Mm -hmm. So I did a little market research and it was pathetic. You know, and this is the early 80s. Like you didn't see California wines with any kind of representation here mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or any kind of respect for that matter. Right. You go to a nice shop and there'd be like one of those like crappy orange metal wire racks <laughs> and there'd be like six wines across the way and then like, you know, 12, the rest of the case underneath. And that, was, that was it. That was like, that was, besides the jugs, I mean, plenty of jug wine, but you know, there was like no serious mm. wines. Like, wow, this is a great thing that we could do. Ma and mail order was just like, that was kind of happening then too. That whole right. concept of mail order, right. Right? right? Everything was mail order. So I was like, we got to do this. Anyway, long story short, kind of, I researched my way out of that idea. I should have <laughs> done it. Cause it would, you know, I, you know, it, you got to have like an entrepreneurial mind. And mm -hmm. when you're working in a, in a, organization in, in an institution in a corporation you're not thinking entrepreneurially well they it's don't a different want brain. you to yeah it's a different brain it's a different brain and there was like that wasn't even a term i mean obviously it was around but it wasn't even a term like in the not, 80s no not really. you know like it was it was business owner <laughs> like it was just like it was if someone yeah. if someone started their own business small business owner yeah small business owner right yeah. um and it is a different mindset <clears throat> um they don't like you to think entrepreneurially. Um, they you just yeah. do, do your job. Yeah. Just do it. Do what we tell you and then yeah. go on. And entrepreneur is just different. Complete. You know, it just flips it on its head. It's like, how do I get this done? Exactly. And I'm just going to do it and then the rest will fit, fit in. Exactly. You know, it, you, you turn everything around. Uh, but you don't do that in a corporation. Yeah. But I was pretty psyched to do that. I had done a lot of research and spent a lot of time at the business library here in New York. Just – just couldn't do the interstate shipping thing. Yeah, that's always a trick. That's but then it happened. Day. But it did happen. So you know they worked their way around it. But to this day, I mean, like it's still like there's it's certain limited. states, you know, yeah. like Jersey. The Sopranos got their hand in your pocket <laughs> if you're selling wine in Jersey. Well, all of wine was mopped up. I mean, when I told my parents I was getting into like you know wine and spirits business, they were like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> our, well, well, I don't want to cast any aspersions on Italians, but like our name did not end in O, okay? And so it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't going to work, you know? Oh, there are pl plenty of Jews are in the mafia too in the, in the wine <laughs> business. So I'm not going to say, you know, we're not above that. So 
<laughs> Every, everybody's dirty. Was it Meyer Lansky? Is one of the oh, most yeah, notorious totally. of all time, right? Yeah. 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 Um. <laughs> Murder Inc. That was yeah. Yeah. Juice. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, so yeah. you, 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 you researched yourself out of the mail yeah, order catalog, which, and you're so right. The eighties, I remember Cause I, I was like a teenager in the eighties. I'm like, I would buy, like I ran track. I would buy yeah. like running shoes, mail order from right. California. And wait, and back then you could do COD. The UPS guy would come no and way. you'd you pay paid him him. cash. Wow. This shit was so different. <laughs> Not like here's, we got your credit card and then we're going to get breached in your shit. You're going to have to cancel your Before you card. turn your computer exactly. off, Amazon's got it delivered at your front exactly. door. It's already right. paid for. Right. <laughs> Yeah. But no, that was a big thing. That was the precursor to the internet was mail order, right? You know, I mean Yeah, and don't I mean for everything. I mean you always had Sears catalog, but yeah. Do you remember how your how your mailbox would get filled up with like all this like mail order stuff? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a big thing. It was really happening. So after you left the bank and you were yeah. what what did you Well I just left because at, at a point okay. I'd been there whatever number of years, five years, and it's just I realized that, like, if it didn't jump off, I'd be sucked in, mm-hmm. you know? And my girlfriend at the time was a real disruptor. She said, you got to get out of here, you know? And like, oh, I'll go, to, I'll go to business school. You know, it's like, well, you're just, like, postponing things. Right. You know? You're right. just, like, you're just putting off the decision that you don't want to make a decision. And that's definitely my personality. <laughs> I don't want to make decisions like that, especially big ones. So it's like, yeah, you know, you're right. So, you know, I had been going to cooking school. Okay. Wonderful cooking school, a little place called Tante Marie's, and it's still there. And I'll never forget, it was right across the street. It was in North Beach, you know, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So, you know, very cool area, Italian. And uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, great poet, lived across the street. So that's a very, very cool little enclave. And uh, during the day, it was a professional cooking school. And the evenings, it was, you know, professional school, but it was for, for people like me that really wanted to learn. So it was like serious. And that was great because, you know, I like cooked with my mom, but my mom was not – she she never – you know, she was a home cook. She, she never really spent the time to get the – get her chops down. This, and that was really fantastic for me, you know, learning knife skills. Right. She, that's, that's, what, that's the main you know, thing. Stuff when like you're, that. Yeah. Right? Knife skills are yeah. Key, key. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really fun. So I had this like food thing going and, you know, you know, obviously food was very much in my, in my genes. And uh, it's like, well, we'll just start catering. We'll just start doing food. So we're just going to make food and we're going to deliver it and, you know, we're going to go around and just make this thing happen. So I did that for, uh, I don't know, a year and a half or so, you know, and then whatever. You don't want to do a business with your girlfriend. So that well, was well, not what, a good idea. What was uh, – what, what, <laughs> what kind of foods were you delivering? Oh, we were doing like really nice lunches like we – well, I, I drove the car and she went around with like a nice basket and okay. it was all kinds of like lunch stuff and – you know, we get up early in the morning and it's all fresh meats and, and, you know, that kind of thing. And it was fresh breads. We'd be at the bakery first thing. It was a big pain in the ass, but we wanted to do it right. We what was the name? That was Deluxe? That was Deluxe, yeah. Deluxe Delivery. <laughs> deluxe Delivery. Deluxe. <laughs> we had a little, little menu. <laughs> it was, you know, the thing is, it was like, it was just a way for me to, to move on. Yeah, and and to kind of enjoy this completely different life, like mm-hmm. getting up, buying food, making it into something. Even it was just sandwiches. They were good sandwiches. Oh my god! You know, Sam- but it's just like the thing. The sandwich is maligned. Yeah, it's much maligned. It, it, there's, is there anything better than a? I mean, no, it's compact. I mean, a, well, a well-made and, sandwich. And, and the opposite is true. Like a really bad sandwich. Oh my god! I mean, that's just like inexcusable. Something wrapped up in cellophane, you know, with the yellow cheese on it or something. Ooh. I mean. You know, that you get the 7-Eleven. If they're, you know, gas station sandwiches. Yeah. That's real desperation. 
That's like drunk and high at yeah. like three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's exactly. Oh, Domino's and, Pizza, and, that sounds good. And, and all they have is the tuna. <laughs> it's a little brownish. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. So, no, no, we, we really did it right. We really did it right. We had some good clients. We had we had San Francisco Magazine. It was kind of a funny story. I, they were desperate for somebody to fill out their uh, most eligible bachelors in San Francisco. Oh, wait, wait, really? Okay. I, 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 true story. True story. And, and uh, my girlfriend said, well, my boyfriend's in the car. He's wait, an eligible bachelor. Wait, that's and they so, called so, me and wait. interviewed me. That was my only – that was my last podcast. No. <laughs> they, they interviewed me for like five minutes. I said a bunch of stupid things and I was in the magazine. And I got to go to the 50 eligible bachelor party, which was pretty fun. But I, I'm just <laughs> just but, like stupid things that'll happen to you if you, you but know, like, don't pay attention. If you have a girlfriend, how are you eligible? Well, <laughs> Seriously, trying to get rid of you? We had a very loose. <laughs> oh yeah, one of those California relationships. Yeah, <laughs> San Francisco. It was very on again, off. Again. It was the uh, Summer of Love, 1987 edition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my God! So. <laughs> And did it say that you were, you know, you had this business? So, yeah. I said I had this business. Yeah, you know, I got a little. I wasn't in a. There was no picture of me. Okay. Chris Isaac was the was the story, and Ken Friedman. Sorry, of <laughs> of ex uh, restaurant fame. Okay, uh, he was he was in there. Um, those were like the picture guys. Those like those are the main dudes. I had a little blurb, like three lines. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of funny. So, um, you had said like, don't work with your girlfriend. So how long, no, how long? Or did... your mother. I did that after. <laughs> I, that was the other part. Don't work with relatives, you know. I, but you know, I shouldn't say that because my daughter's now in the company and I couldn't be happier because she's smarter than me. So, yeah. but, but in general, yeah, girlfriends and mothers don't, don't work with them. <laughs> that, that's, that's my sage advice to any entrepreneur starting up. So, um, what happened after Deluxe? What was their next? So after Deluxe, I was kind of burnt out in California. And um, so I was poking around in New York. And I'm the only one drinking. This is banging. This, oh, is, one of, this is one of the best shit I've in a minute, bro. This it's is- really good. Well, there's a good story here because these people completely rebranded, completely went back to basics. They, they only use their own estate fruit, cut way back on the sulfur. It's just some intense, beautiful, beautiful wine. This really is um, – they just, just focus on the terroir. Yeah. This like – I've had some bigger houses, Springfield bottles lately and this is – this. I'm like – Yeah. You know, and I'm like oh. – What's so amazing about uh, Bonet is that they have the power and the elegance. Mm-hmm. To get both of those things in a bottle mm. is, is great. This is really good. All right. So you're burnt mm. out. <clears throat> well, I'm burnt out. I don't know what my next move is going to be. But I, I, I wanted to go back to New York. And, you know, and at this point in time, you got to understand, MJ, I never lived in New York. I was a suburban kid. Right, right, right. right. I lived in San Francisco. And it's like, well, you know, and I'd be going back. And I had a lot of friends here and, and all that. And my family was here. So, I, you know, one thing led to another. I, I'm, I was in a wine shop, a Park Avenue wine shop. And they just offered me a job. I guess they were desperate. I don't know. And like and – What do you mean you were – like you were shopping? And I was like <laughs> – I know it was I was I was I was shopping, I was poking around, and I was doing research on on my never to happen mail order on, mail order catalog. Okay, you're right, right. So I got to talk I was talking to the gotcha. owner and this and that. And I don't know, maybe because I had a couple of brain cells because I was working in banking or something. They figured I knew something. They said, if you ever wanted to come back here, we consider hiring you, basically. Um 
And it was a good little shop. It's a guy named John John Sheridan ran it, and he and he gave uh, classes, and that was kind of part of the deal. Mm-hmm. The bad part of the shop is we didn't get to taste in the shop, but we mm-hmm. got to take his course, mm-hmm. and that again, you know, all these like really eye opening for me. I, I, and I met Danny Meyer there. Came in as a customer. Wow! Before he opened up Union Square. Wow! He, he asked for some some advice. <laughs> <laughs> it was you know everyone's just sort of like figuring it out at the time, and uh, it was a good little store. And I started to understand stuff and what was selling and what was interesting. Mm-hmm. And I started to get my own sense of what, you know, just the first kind of kernels of thinking about wine. So I, I worked there. I worked at Aster. I started doing some catering. I was kicking around. And then I got a job at Life Cafe. They need a general manager. That's before Life Cafe got famous from rent and, and all that. It was, it was a very... You know, Tompkins Square Park, East Village, you know, late 80s. We're talking drugs. The Rasta selling oregano oh, was, to the suburban kids from Jersey. Oh, that or the, or the people, sh- people shooting up in there. Yeah, I know. It was it bad. Was, it was ugly. I mean, yeah. It was New York crack, and 80s. You know, crack was killer there. Yeah, I mean. Crack was everywhere. I mean, I, I had to close some nights there. It was mm. a late night place. So you'd be walking home at four in the morning. Crack files everywhere. It was It was not pretty. But it was, but it was vibrant and fun, and that and was cool. I mean, it was cool. And cheap. I mean, that's you're talking. You're talking. I don't CBGB's. tell you what I paid for my for my apartment. No, tell us. Tell. <laughs> you want to know? Yeah. I had a, I had a studio apartment in the village, which I still have. Uh, I was paying three fifty a month. That's why he still has it. He's like, I'm not giving that. I'm shit not up. paying three fifty. I know, but you ain't. But I'm it. saying, you know, it became co-op. But um, no, but it was it was just a different world, and and you know, economics. Makes everything happen or not happen. Yep, yep. And, and there was a lot of cool stuff happening in the East Village because it was cheap. Yeah. And, you know, you had cool restaurants and cool clubs and you could just do stuff. Right. And when stuff becomes expensive, you can't do it. Right. like, you know, you know, <laughs> what should I say? The wealthiest people or the people with the money are not necessarily doing the most interesting things. No. No. So, you know, you have to you have to have that, that crucible. Right. And the East Village was definitely that. So – it was it was fun. It was fun running Life Cafe. And they kind of let me do anything. Because well, you know, I don't you know the story of Life Cafe? Not oh, fully. But you know it's connected to rent. Yes. It was all based on that. Right. So you had um you had Kathy Life, they changed their name, and, okay. and Dave and David David Life. And the the problem was David ran away with one of the waitresses. And Dave was all tatted up, long hair, rode his bike to work every day and everything. But Kathy was like a businesswoman. But the, the, they uh, were so diametrical. But the 80s, like, tattoos were like, you were like a sailor. Oh, people, it wasn't was not like, people don't get like, like, no one was, had tattoos, like, in the 80s, but no, like, and he was totally marine, marine merchants and shit. Yeah, yeah, he was, you know, well, you saw some of it in these films. Well, I'm but sure not, in these films, like you said, it was a whole much. hotbed, but okay, so. So anyway, so like, they didn't talk to each other. So, like, as the manager, like, you were right in the middle. So she, like, they, neither of them really wanted to deal with it. They just wanted to kind of collect a check. So, but the cool thing was, I could do whatever I want. Okay. And we had a bunch of Chinese guys in the kitchen, of course, right? And I, I designed the menu. I, <laughs> this is too good. I, I wanted to buy good wines. So I asked, God forbid, I asked Robert Chatternan if he'd sell me wine. You know, like Chatternan. Yeah. He only told you, he would deign to decide whether or not you could buy wine from him or not. <laughs> So, uh, so, so Blake Johnson came by and you know, showed me some cards and this and that. But we bought wine from fucking Chatterton. And I thought it was pretty cool. This is like, this is a really, you know, 
That's not a really... fancy, <clears throat> fancy restaurant. But at all. do me a favor because there's probably a lot of people who don't know. Rob Chatter- Chatter- yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell a little bit about him, please. He was a he was a force. He had incredible wine. He, wines like uh, Quintarelli. He introduced a Nicolas Jolie. This takes us to a whole other place, MJ. I mean, he came out of a tradition of Robert Chatterton, Robert Haas. Yeah, Bobby Haas. Frank Schoonmacher. Mm-hmm. And this all connects back to to uh, Sam Aaron at Sherry Lehman. Okay. And this is all. This is all kind of happening, and and this you know this predates me. This is probably all happening like post war, right? Because because I read a book. I read a maybe it was Hedonist in the Cellar, like Schumacher. Like Schumacher was the man. Like yeah, and like these guys were. Some of them did like espionage work for the U.S. So they 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 got like he worked for the OSS. Yeah, yeah. 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 He worked for the OSS <clears throat> and he also he also wrote for the New Yorker. <laughs> but he introduced Sam Aaron. So Sam Aaron, okay. Sherry Lehman, mm-hmm. he was famous for his catalogs. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it was Schoonmacher that really showed him the way. Because like Sherry was like every other place, and they were selling like a lot of, you know, you know, old granddad. Right. You know, wine was like not, not a thing. So all that was happening at the same time, and I guess it was probably like a lot of soldiers, like my parents, uh, coming back from Europe, mm-hmm. and like a kind of stepped up the sophistication. Okay. So uh, he, so Chatterton, I think, is coming out of that world. Gotcha. And and he was really cutting edge. It, he was, you know, really imperious, and you know, as a distributor, we have to go to our customers. Right. He would call you up and say, uh, Michael. I want to see you in my office next Wednesday at three o'clock. And he, he, you know, he, he played the fiddle and everyone jumped. If you were a restaurant, he'd say, let me look at your list. Oh, your list sucks. I'm going to tell you, you got to buy this, that, and the other thing. And like, he got away with it for years because he had, he had cool stuff. Yeah. Until he didn't. Yeah. 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 So he, you know, he was, he was a, he was a factor and he had great wines. And, and, you know, it was, I was so impressed because like he put his name on the label mm-hmm. and that, that was one of the things that, like, I really wanted to do when I when I got into the business. Mm-hmm. Like, I just love that idea. Like, he put that imprimatur, and I'm behind it. I'm Robert Chatter, or I'm Robert Haas, or right. or, or, or Frank Schoonmacher. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like that's who I am, and I picked these wines out. Right, like Kermit Lynch. That that's and that Kermit became a thing. Lynch became yeah, after becomes that. A thing, yeah. yeah, but those those guys for me, especially Schoonmacher, when I was growing mm-hmm. up, because that was even before Chatter. Yep. Um, Haas was out there. But you see their name on the label. And that really meant something. Like people talk about branding today, like they're my personal brand. They're doing all this TikTok and all this shit. But like, <laughs> yeah, right. like, like w- when you're well, talking like, like this was real branding. Like you looked at the yeah. label and you're like, it's like well, some French white. I yeah, don't know. It's uh, right? Macon Village. I don't know. Is it good or not? Right. You don't know. Making villages. <laughs> <laughs> Making that. Wait, that's a town in Georgia. Right. Make, it is. <laughs> Making wine down there. Making, yeah. Um, so you're working in New York. You doing so I'm working there. Yeah. Cool stuff. Um, you were studying French, taking French classes? I, I, I'd like to joke around because I, I started taking French. Got to roll it back. I, you know, I, I was doing, when I was in banking in San Francisco, I was doing like everything but banking. <laughs> so I was like taking, I was taking cooking classes. I also, my, oh, that's a whole other, God, you get into too many things. Uh, so my brother was kind of basically flunking out of college. So I figured out a way I could get him into, into college into, in San Francisco. 
So he moves out there and he's so he's totally into languages. And he he lives in Japan now. He he studied Japanese and that became his whole thing. And that was yeah, it was and a that rap. was his thing. He married it was a rap. Jap- exactly. Japanese I was like, it's woman. a rap. That was the whole thing. But anyway, so he's working in a, in a language school. And I started taking – and it happened to be like two blocks from my from my apartment. So I started taking French classes there. And the way the guy was teaching French was so different from the way I was learning language. I was a good language student. I had studied Spanish in, in uh, high school and in college. I was good. But I couldn't speak for shit. Right. And this guy, he only wanted to – Talk. It was conversational it versus was all, it was versus all, a con versus conjugating your verbs. It was just conversational. Like exactly. this is how you can learn. This is how you learn language by speaking it. It's music. Yeah, you're singing it. Yep. And, and like we just started right off the bat, like speaking whole sentences, and that just blew me away. So anyway, when I moved to New York, I I, I took French classes everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. New school, Alliance Francaise, Berlitz. I mean. There was a class. I just wanted to try to find a new way to learn French because that was like one of the things. Like I had it in my head. Somehow I was going to be doing this eventually. So, yeah. So I'm doing this. I'm working some – I worked. I was working at Life Cafe and I never forget there was a woman there and, you know, it was a very artsy place. She called herself Montana. She was, See, before Madonna, there was Montana. There was Montana. She was, she was a great waitress and uh, – I don't know. We were talking about like what we wanted to do and this and that. And I told her how old I was. She goes, oh, you're 28. You're Saturn's returning. You're going to have a big change in your life. <laughs> and like, like, I'm not like astrology or this, that. I was like, but she kind of blew me away. It's kind of like scary, you know. But sure enough, things really changed from there. And uh, a lot of things and without trying to be too, I don't know. Vuki about the whole thing, but a lot of things came together in my life that allowed me to move to France. And it was just kind of weird. Like I had enough points on my card from flying back and forth to California. I could get over there for free. I was dating a, a Belgian woman at the time and her mom was a <laughs> sweetheart. And she said, well, if you come, if you come to Belgium, I, I can work out and get a car for you and I can make some introductions for you. I did that. And then the, the most important thing I did was a totally ballsy move. I wrote to Steven Spurrier. And this is not – this is maybe like four or five years after the Judgment of Paris. I, I hope everyone knows who Steven Spurrier is. Yeah, first of he's all – super important Yeah, guy. I mean – so Super important. I mean, first of all, not an email. No, email. Didn't, didn't shoot him a text. Didn't own a computer. Uh, no, no. Who did? <laughs> Computers were like as big as his no, room back exactly. then. <laughs> and like – wait. And we're like 16 fucking K. Like your, your phone's like 120 K. Like computer's like 16 K. <laughs> right. And big as a fucking building, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, I wrote him. You, you wrote him. I said, well, I just felt like after what he had done at the Judgment of Paris, I said, okay, this guy, he's an iconoclastic kind of guy, right? Yeah. You know, he wants to do something different. You know, here's a, here's an Englishman with a whole bunch of like wine things in Paris. Right. He's he kind of has his finger up to the whole, French yeah, wine that's, establishment, I mean, I mean, right? He really poked them in the eye right. with that whole thing. So I figured, okay, I'm going to write to him. Like, I, I want to get into the wine business. I, you know, I've spent my time. I work in wine shops. I'm learning French. You know, I'm ready to go. So I wrote him a letter. Like, he wrote me back. <laughs> hey, you know, I wrote James. I wrote James Beard a letter. And he wrote me back. You know, I, I'm really impressed. People respond to letters. I, I, I recommend. Oh, it was a different world. It was a different time back then, right? It wasn't like absolutely. I mean, I think, and I, I think there's something missing because, like, if someone took the time to write you a letter, 
You're going to respond. Well, think about it, like a letter is uh, you, it's your hand, it's ink, you're putting it on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. you're putting the stamp on it. it. It's very like a personal attachment. Email or a text, it just ain't that. I know. I know. And I use them all the time, but it's. It, of course, I really, we all use it. I mean, but it's, I, I it's think convenient. about. Yeah, but like, I think about like, you used to write people fucking letters. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and not print, right? Kids don't even know how to write anymore. No. No, you just. Yeah. You just learned yeah. printing. Anyway, I write to Stephen Spurrier. I said, look, I'm totally into the wine business. I don't know how to get into it. I want to get into it. It's like really it's something I want to do. So I, I guess I got my, my passion across to him. He wrote back. He said, Victor, I've got a job for you in my wine bar. But if you're serious, you're going to spend your time in the vineyards. Don't be messing around living in a city. So I took his advice to heart. I got to Paris and he had a bookshop also, wine bookshop. And I went right there and I'm like kind of <laughs> sort of like searching around like, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? You know, I want to do this. I want to, you know, Spurrier's right. He's He's got the right idea. I got to go somewhere. And, and I, I sort of. You know, it sounds it sounds like a little bit something out of a movie, but sort of like this book on the Rhone from Livingston, Learnmouth, and Masters, three Brits, Faber and Faber, great great uh, English publishing, publishing house. house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I said, Rhone, this makes a lot of sense because you know I had work in working in retail. Yeah, I saw what was going on with the Rhone. There was not a lot there, but what was there was like great value. Really delicious wines. To it was this, really appealing. To this really, day. To this day. It's funny. We were just talking about, I was talking to somebody the other day. And we were just talking about like how much we love Shadow of the Pop. Me too. That's my shit. People, like, it's my go-to. Shadow of the Pop. You're not going to go wrong with it. Right. Most part. Right. For those, like, the wines are pretty good. Even right. at, like, you know, the, the worst producers, right. like pretty good. And, and the pricing's not going to like right. insult you. Right. Right. Even, I mean, like release. You know, you might get an homage to Jacques Perrin. It's 300 bucks on release. Yo, yeah, there's great but, stuff. But, but, but what the fuck would that be from Burgundy or Bordeaux, though? Bingo. That's right, my point. Go, right, right, right. So you right. say that. Like, you, that, that. like, you're balling out at oh, 300. God. What, like. And you buy, like, you know, some shitty Nuit Saint Georges village wine. Exactly. From Mr. Nobody. And it's like they're asking for all this money. They drink it and go, wait, <laughs> what am I missing? Where, where is this naked emperor? Because I don't see any clothing on this. And, and it, it gets you angry. Yeah. That's why I think people get angry at Burgundy. All oh, time. yeah. Yeah. You just get angry. Yeah. It's like, go to the Rhone, man. Exactly. Rhone and Rioja. Yeah. Rhone and Rioja. Oh, still. Cannot go wrong. Another fucking one. Yeah. To this those day. Two. Spain. Yeah. Even with Vega, like. But you can always have stuff but, like but, that. But even, but even yeah. Vega, I mean, Vega, if Vega was the first growth, how much more would it cost? Let's think about this, right? If, if, that's if, right. If you that's put what it, I'm, if you put it in perspective to, to the reverence given to certain wine regions. That's right. Um, that's right. But like, yeah, I tell people, you want value? Fucking Spain. Yeah, there's so many bangers from Spain from yeah. ten to fifteen to twenty dollars that yeah. will knock your socks off. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I'm a Rhone guy. I'm, I'm a, but that, but yeah. you know what you're touching on, MJ, is like really what got me into this business because then because I realized, okay, where's my path going to be? Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to like start out and it's like, oh yeah, you know, DRC is going to want to work with Victor Schwartz, you know, twenty year old Schmageggy from New Jersey, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like where where am I going to find my place? Right. And I realized it's like I'm, I'm going to go off the beaten path. Right. Going to go off piste yeah. and, and find some really cool things because I had I had tasted them. Yeah. You know, I had worked at Astor too, and it's like you, you taste some of these really cool wines. Like, there's something going on out there. And, and talk I about terroir. It's all that. It's all terroir. And down it's in terroir. There. It's family. It's culture. 
It's cuisine. Mm-hmm. All these places have great food. Right. I mean, come on. That's a great appeal about our business. Let's yeah. be honest. Oh, yeah. It's all about the food and the wine. Absolutely. It's the two. Yep. The, the it's dance. the marriage. Yeah. It's the marriage. The yep. It's the beautiful marriage. Yep. So where did you end up in Rome? <laughs> so um, I took this ridiculous drive. I had like this this car. You never even heard of this car. Ever hear of a brand of car called Daihatsu? Mm-mm. No, because they never would even import this car to the United States because it was a fucking sewing machine on four wheels. I drove the I drove this Daihatsu. I, look, beggars can't be choosers. So my, my girlfriend. Oh, this mom, was the hookup from the Belgian. This, Belgian, is, the Belgian this, is, the Brus- this yeah. is the Brussels hookup. The Brussels so connection. She got this car for me. I'm not complaining, and because uh, I, I really had no money. This is all on a shoestring. I drove from from Brussels to Avignon. Wow! <laughs> and <laughs> in this little beater. It was like – literally, it was like a 12-hour drive. It's like ah. – <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It was like, you know, like Lindy crossing the, the Atlantic, I guess, or something. No, 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 no flowers waiting on the other side. Anyway, found a cheap place to stay outside of Avignon, okay. uh, across the river, Rhone River, of course. Uh, is a little town called Villeneuve-les-Avignon. Okay. And I don't know how I found this little hotel there. Nice couple, you know, like a residential hotel. And uh, – I lived there. I lived there and I just like had my Livingston Learn Math Master's book and I visited people and I like talking French and trying to talk French. And uh, everyone was super nice, super welcoming and tasting wines and like learning to taste and looking at the vineyards and um, also spent some time. There's a, a university in uh, Sous La Rousse. Mm-hmm. There's a wine university there. So I figured, oh, I'll go over there. And I started hanging around there. I met some producers there. And I met some young people there too, which was good because it gets kind of lonely. Uh, and um, it was a fun time. It was a fun time. And like everyone was like, here, have some samples. <laughs> here, here's some wine. Like people were giving me wine. It's like, why are they giving like, – like you're from America? Here, here's some wine. Take it back and like, you know, give it to Robert Parker. It was also a great time. Because Parker had not come out with his own book yet. Okay. Okay. So that was very unbelievable. So many lucky things that happened to me. Oh, and I didn't mention the fact that I rented my $350 apartment out for like a couple thousand dollars. Right. So you're – So one of the engineers for the car – the cars, the musical group was making a a record on 8th Street. There's a famous uh, recording studio there. So I had everything hooked up. So that basically paid for everything. I mean it was stupid. It was like stupid – serendipity like all of the stuff was the universe was saying go to france victor and learn about wine that's all i can say I, you can't plan this right no that this you is you cannot not, plan it I, no. it was and, and i came from such like this uh, rigid kind of world you know, i went to university mm-hmm. and worked for the bank and, and that it's like it was kind of like it was kind of like deconstruction you have to like deconstruct your life to reconstruct it mm-hmm I love it. You know what? This is a good point to, uh, good point. We're going to take a break. We'll be back more with Victor Schwartz. All right. Are you ready for another great distributor to look for when shopping for fine wines and spirits? Let me tell you about Independence Wine and Spirits or IWS. IWS is one of the hot up and coming distributors of fine wines and spirits headquartered in New York City. Like Taub Family Selections, IWS is owned by the Taub family who have re-entered the New York wholesale market, bringing the family back to its roots in distribution where they held court from 1951 through 2004. IWS is proud to represent an exceptional portfolio of high-quality, terroir-centric, and historic producers from around the world, including Italy and France. 
where they have an exciting roster of burgeoning Vinrollins from Burgundy that are coming your way soon. They also have domestic producers such as La Coya, Cardinale, Staglin, El Molino, and many more. To learn more about IWS, go to independencewine.com. It's no secret that everyone's wine education journey is unique. You deserve a wine school that not only delivers top-notch content, but also guides you on a learning path that's right for you. So whether you're looking to earn your WSET certification or just get the basics without the stress of certification in their Wine 101 or 201 courses, the Napa Valley Wine Academy is the place to be. Go to NapaValleyWineAcademy.com for more information. Okay, we are back, and we are changing wines. Tell everybody what we're, um, we're, we're drinking on now. Well, this is a winery I've been working with a long time. It's named Sina Qua Nan little winery in Southern California that's kind of developed a big reputation. Yeah. <clears throat> but I have to say, I, I, I am so proud of how we picked up this wine. Yeah, we, we got it. Because yeah, it really, for me, it, it is everything that we're about. Because like I, I was mentioning before, looking at wines off the beaten path and not looking for brand names. Uh, we're just, I'm looking at the bottle. We're just tasting wine. So, True story. I was trying to expand what I was doing in California. I met another guy in the wine business. He said, you know, I got a friend and he was a sommelier and he's got his own label now. And, you know, he's not making a lot of wine, but, you know, maybe uh, maybe he'd sell you a little bit of wine. It's like pretty good stuff. I said, okay, put me in touch with him. His name's Manfred Kronkel and, uh, you know, Austrian guy. And he's working at some fancy restaurant in L.A. I give him a call. We have a very nice chat. And I said, well, I'll send you some bottles. Well, you taste it and see what you think. Now, I may not have been as open-minded as I am now. And uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm still very Eurocentric in my, my palate. It's just formed there from growing up, mm -hmm. from the wines I really love, terroir, the whole thing. But, you know, I, I want to expand. I, I want to see what's going on in California. And I wanted to have some California wines in my portfolio. I wanted to have, you know, more wines to sell. And California was, you know, really, really doing well in the States. So Manfred sends me some bottles. I call up a friend of mine, uh, who had been in the wine business. He was, he had been buying for, for a little restaurant. And uh, I said, you know, you know, I'm making some lamb. I've got like these, uh, Rhone varietal wines. I got a Syrah and a Grenache. They're kind of blends and uh, making some lamp. I said, bring over some Burgundy because it's from California. <laughs> I mean, it was like a total diss. I mean, it was. It's absolutely true. I was like, okay, I got to taste these wines, but you know, you know bring, but, but, bring something good but, over. You know, because yeah, like, this is that's California. That's so awesome. <laughs> I, it, there was no reputation there. No, I mean. We pulled the corks. True story. We never opened the Burgundy that night. The wines just blew us. We were just, Wow. These are really good. These have personality. These are not all oak. You know, there's complexity. There's like stuff going on here. And it's like, it was very exciting. It was very exciting. And that's the way I love to find wine. Um, I will tell you. like no, this is beautiful. It's beautiful. This and is the 06 Raven Syrah, I should point out. There you go. Um, thanks for saying that. And, you know, I drink a lot of Rhone stuff. I like drink a lot of Shout Enough to Pop. Yeah. And, 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 um, Grenache especially mm. loves heat. It loves to get ripe. That's right. Um, and so people who don't know other wines like, oh, you like those high alcohol wines. No, I like Rhone wines. Bounce. I like Rhone wines and Rhone wines 
tend to be higher in alcohol, but these wines are harmonious in their balance. Perfect. So people talk shit. There's people who haven't had this wine, who talk shit. They see a Sinequinon. That's right. And they see 15.5 or 16. Yeah. No, two, they're not for that high, but yeah. Some of the newer ones are. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but this is 15.5. I looked this at it. 15, 2006. Yeah. Oh, my God. This tastes as good as any Northern Rhone Syrah you have fucking it's had. It's amazing. amazing. It's got the bacon fat. It's got the olive. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not the, all just the fruit. I mean, the color on it at, how many years? 16 years old? Uh, yeah, 2006. Wait, the producer's supposed to do the math Six for times, us. Yeah. We've been drinking. <laughs> no, we both worked in bacon. We need, we need to do the math. I was like, yeah, 16 years old. Are you kidding? I That's mean, what calculators are I for. mean, there's no, I mean, this. There's no brown on the rim. No brown on the rim. No, no, I've had old ones of these. Yeah, they, yeah. they just go they forever. Go, like, and, and so people were talking who, who throw shade, like, don't, you've never even had these because, fucking wines. You know, you know like, what the problem just, is, because there's too much prejudgment that happens in right. our business. And also, too many readers. if Parker likes it, <sighs> And there's, a whole, there's a whole segment of the wine business that's like, oh, it can't be good. Well, we know? don't want to even go there, MJ, because I'm going to blow my, my, my eardrums out. People need to judge wines completely on their own merits. Exactly. And that's been my whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, that's how you find, and that's how you find great wines. And that's how you find surprises. Yeah. Don't prejudge. Right. Don't read. Right. Do that afterwards because you know, that stuff's interesting. Right. All the geeky shit, super interesting. Right. I love to know it. I love to know – you know, is it cordon pruning or is it gobelet? I like to know that. And what are they doing? What are they doing in the, in the winery? And it's so complex and it's on and on and on. But if I'm judging the wine, just tell me what it is and put it in front of me mm-hmm. in a glass. Mm-hmm. 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 All right. So you have this. I mean, did you ever even work for Steven Spur or did you just go down? No. You didn't even, okay, no. I just want to come full circle on that. I'll, I'll t- <laughs> and I, I met him at the Explorers Club like – Ten years later, he was there for some event, and I went. And I said, "I got to shake your hand because, like, you got me into this business." And he was a little nonplussed about it. Right. You know, he's had his ups and downs too yeah. in the business. But yeah. God bless him. He he ended on a high note. Though. I yeah, think I think good. he did I too. Think, I, I just love people like that. Yeah. But uh, no, no, I never met him. I just okay. did my thing. Right. Okay. I just did my thing. I never met him, and but I got to give him credit. Yeah. You know, people like that they should know that I agree. people are. Are influenced by right. your positive energy. Right. I love that. He said, "Don't you need to go to the vineyards?" Right. I love that. I know he gave me. The, he could have just like used me. Right. It's like, yeah, come to Paris and work right. for me. Yeah. He and you know what? That. And I'm Steven Spurrier, and you're gonna work 16 like, hours a well, day, and you would have exactly. did it, and you would have did it. I would have done it. Right. It's like, oh yeah, that's really cool. And but, it would have been well, fun. Steven Spurrier. <laughs> I'll tell you this though: probably wouldn't have started VOS Selections. Right. I would have been there hanging out and being whatever yep. Parisian, you know. Yep. You know. Bar junkie, whatever. Smoking you know. Valois, yeah, wearing exactly. a beret. So I do wear a beret, actually. But beyond that, <laughs> there's nothing wrong. Best with hat, best hat ever. Beret, there most you, flexible hat. I, there you go. I go on about. Berets. So you got back here in 1987. So New I got York. back. I went over. I lived there for a while. Okay. I even worked in a nursery for <laughs> to make some money. You know, it was you had to you had to put it all together. Right. Um, came back here, had all of these échantillons. One of the first words I learned in, learned in French, samples. Two words, two words you learn. First two words I learned in French, craché, spit. Où se trouve le crachoir? Because like, you gotta find out where to spit. And then échantillon. Sir, do you want some échantillon? Yeah, I want some of those. <laughs> I, I brought back literally like a dozen cases of wine. I never forget like, going through customs and the guy said, oh, this is going to cost you something. I said, okay, fine. I'll pay it. Uh, you know, whatever. Whatever doesn't make a difference to me. I need, I need these wine. And he, he added up. He must have never known what he was doing because 
It came out to like a dollar sixty-seven. He goes, I guess that's why no one ever charges this. All right, take it away out of here. Take it away from here. But he definitely did something wrong on the math. Anyway, I had all these samples, and um, what am I going to do with this? You know, like trying to get into the business. So I was trying to figure out really. So what's my next move here? I thought I would broker the wines. Okay. I kind of like be an agent, yep. find distributors. I talked to like, I talked to Lauber, Mark Lauber, mm-hmm. and I talked to Winebow, mm-hmm. and I got these, but. I did not know how to talk the talk. Mm-hmm. But what I did do is I went back to the places I had worked in retail and I brought them the wines and they were really good. Mm-hmm. And my pricing was like stupid low. And that was part of my idea was that, hey, I'm going to cut out the middleman. I'm going to be the importer and the distributor, which these days is pretty common. Right. Not so much in those days. Okay. You had like these really big importers, like the co-brands of the world. That kind right. Of right. And then you had distributors. Um and then you had the mob. Um, <laughs> but, but I had these orders. I'm like, okay, now i got to fulfill these orders. I, uh, but I couldn't like put the pieces together. I said, you know what? I'm going to get my own license. I'm going to bring this in. I Through friends, friends of mine, I met a guy <laughs> who was bringing an art – a really nice Czech gentleman in Washington, D.C. of all places who was bringing in Argentine wines, which I thought was really weird. This is the 1980s. He's probably, I mean, I'm seriously. I thought, oh, this is right. the weirdest thing in the world. And I had the wines. I go, damn, those are good wines. <laughs> I was like, you know, all of a sudden, like my mind is like getting expanded, expanded, expanded in in the the wine world. And uh, so he, Charles Bacher, God bless his soul, he was just a wonderful man, and he let me use his license basically. And I, I brought these products in in the summer of what was that, 19. 19- we're in the we're in the eighties here, eighty eight, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. And my wine sat on the dock because, damn, I was using letters of credit because I was a banker. I was still thinking like a banker. Okay. And the French banks were just sitting on the letters of credit and not turning them over, and they screwed me. Ugh. Anyway, I got I got the product off the dock. Most of it was good. Thank God for sturdy. Wines, sturdy red wines from from the south of France, but I learned my lesson. I always shipped refrigerated after that. <laughs> even <laughs> even though even though like all these big companies go, nobody ships refrigerated container. Reefer container, that's crazy. You smoking reefer? <laughs> reefer container? No, nobody does that. All those Bordeaux's come in here, and even you know even guys like Chattern, he didn't. But the, the stupid thing I had done was the letters of credit. Okay. Anyway, I brought product in here and uh, I got started. I brought my I brought my wines to the old International Wine Center. Okay, they used to be in the fifties across from City Center. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a wine bar down there called Tastings, and above it was the International Wine Center. And uh, there were a lot of important journalists there. And I just entered these wines there. wasn't really supposed to because the product wasn't here yet. And I got like all these good reviews, crazy like Wine Spectator, Newsday, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like wow, I. I think I'm onto something here. So it was that was the start, and I just kept going back to France and going to going to different regions and spending time there, trying to understand the terroir. Right. So you did that like for good. like for like eight years. Like you would go take month long trips through France. Just, yeah. Learn just, the terroir. What was yeah. what were some of the experiences? What were some of your highlights? What were some of the challenges? Lots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always say, God, I wish I wrote all this stuff down. Well, you know, I, I after the Rhone, I really got turned on to the Loire Valley. Okay, there's such variety there. 
Right. And that was just so fascinating. And again, you know, you look at what was available here in the States and it was what? Sancerre, Muscadet, Puy Fumé. Puy Fumé in those days I think it was probably bigger than uh, than Sancerre. It was. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Maybe you'd find a Chinon. And that was kind of it. You know, you didn't – oh, Vouvray, of course. Oof. But really crappy Vouvray. Yeah. You know, you didn't, you, nothing really interesting. It's like there's all this incredible variety going on there. And it's just I, – I just spent a lot of time with Lore going back and forth to Lore. So like you – So much to discover there. Yeah, like Jean-Paul Picard. Yeah. How would you discover well, that, that's, Picard? <laughs> Picard. Again, that, well, I, I was – well, I was at my friend's – my my Belgian girlfriend's house out in the country. Everything, God, too much stuff. I sound like some kind of no. It's you know. I, I, people, I tell like, every wine story begins with a boy or a girl. Like a girl. It, 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 it really I, is. I it's always. It it really, but it is. But my travels where it's like. So they had a house in in um, in the Ardennes forest. Uh, it was uh, like a hunting lodge. It's cool old place. <laughs> it's called Couvin. This little town called Couvin, uh, and um, a friend of. Hers said, "You know this wine is really great, and you should you should try it." So I was like, "Oh, Sancerre! I have no fucking interest in Sancerre because I'm not buying any kind of wine that people know. Like my whole thing was, I only want to bring in wines like people never heard of. Okay, that was like just it. That's too well known. <laughs> but I taste it. I go, wow, this is really good. So I called up Jean Paul. I was going back to Paris. He goes, "Well, you have to come see me." I said, "Okay, because like you got to see people, right?" I got on the train from Paris. I mean, traveling around in France is just so easy by train. It's just ridiculous. Took the train to Cône-sur-Loire and it was really kind of funny. There were people actually – like you saw commuters on the train. Talk about commuting from Red Bank. Right. These people would commute from the Loire Shit. to Paris because I was on the train and That's like there were clearly people going back from work. Wow. Anyway, I met Jean-Paul. I, I love him. He his He's about like this tall and – he has got the largest thumbs of any human being I've ever seen. And we call him, he's a wonderful man, believe me. I, I say nothing. But he's all thumbs. Knows, he's all thumbs. But that's like, he's got these giant mitts, you know? I, said, I don't know why. He was built to work in a vineyard. Got it. So I go see him and, I'm, you know, the wines are really beautiful. We look, walk around, see the vineyards, see the winery, and then like, we're going to dinner. But before we're going to dinner, like, he's pre-gaming. It's like, well, let's taste some wine. So he's opened up a bunch of things like, wow, he's opening like three wines at, before dinner. All right, we're going to taste these wines. And like, I'm not, I'm not spitting anything because like, I don't want to insult the guy, right? So we do that. Then we go into town and then we go to the restaurant and he goes, oh, Victor, you want to try that? Oh, that's an interesting one. You want to try that? And he orders like, like a dozen wines at the table. I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Luckily, I understood that you could order wine and not finish it. Yeah. Like, when I grew up. Like my father would like squeeze the bottle to get every last drop out. Really. And it was, you know, he was just like that. It was like not finishing the bottle. But he corked everything up, took everything home. But the other funny part of that, and this is the part that kind of makes you feel older, is his son was with us, little boy in short pants and little glasses. And I said, Mikael, someday I'm going to work with you. Totally joking around because like, you know, what I'm, I'm, I'm in my 20s, you know, he's a little um, – I work with Mikael now. Oh, my God. That's Dad's awful. still around. Yeah. Great, great, great family. Great family. And uh, that's how I discovered uh, Picard and I've been working with them a long time, a long time. <laughs> uh, wonderful people. 
the, the human connection is so such an important aspect of all this. Yeah, thing. talk about you that. You don't get that in banking. Right. Like talk about that like I mean because I you, love you, your money. You you <laughs> I love when you co- I love when you come to the office and oh, show me your cream, Mrs. Jackson. Yeah, <laughs> I pulled up your account and <sighs> got a stiffy. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Wow, I saw those zeros. I was like, end, yeah. wah wah wah. Um, Let's get together and have lunch. Yeah. Lunch. Um, <laughs> um, and this just keeps opening up. I know. Better. You got to put some more in your glass. I am. Jay. Domaine Le Galatin from Bando. Oh, Le Galatin. Another one I'm working with the, the children. Um, well, that's okay. So I started uh, when I uh, when I moved to France. That was so that was 87. I was working in France. My eldest brother, who's a cellist. Your eldest, he, your, I'm sorry. Your my eldest, eldest brother, brother is a cellist. David is a cellist, yeah. And uh, he kind of gave up on the states. He, he he sort of busted out too. He was supposed to be a lawyer, corporate lawyer, and he said, "This is not for me." Good for him. He, well, I want to be a, I want to be a cellist. It, you know, of course, my parents weren't happy about that either. I think our goal in life, all this, we there are five boys in my family. Wow. I think the goal is to make our parents unhappy, but they spent a lot of time making us unhappy too. So that was okay. That was I a think good trade. it's uh, reciprocity. <laughs> yes, reciprocity. <laughs> anyway, so at that time, he he moved. Yeah, it's good shit. Uh, he moved to Paris. So if you know – you must know musicians because – Yeah, I love you music. Know, right. Yeah. And you love music, right? So you know that for every musician, their first love is music and their second love is food. Okay. That's just – I just noticed that. Yeah. And my wife comes from a family of artists and musicians too. And it's always the same. They love food and wine. So my brother was like – you know, it's like spending a lot of time traveling around France. You know, you're doing concerts or whatever. And he's coming across all these different – and he's, he loved going to you know, wine shows also in Paris. And he introduced me to Domaine Le Galantin. Okay. You know, a little, little property in, uh, in Vandal. Mm-hmm. Damn, this is – It's good. <laughs> it's fucking good. You know, I, I don't I – don't, and I'm not saying this like you know, blow smoke, MJ. I don't open these bottles. I don't open these bottles because like everyone – every bottle has like you know 20 buyers for it. Yeah. So it's like no. I mean, this is fun. This no, is fun I mean, to, to I taste, appreciate right? that. I mean, like you know, I'm saying I'm not, I'm doing it for me too. I, 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 I'm like I'm <laughs> glad I'm glad business. we're worthy of this. Like you no, know, it's a fun thing to do. It this is. is a good ex- and, and a good excuse. And I know Elaine's going to listen to this. So uh oh, I'm in trouble. No, you're not in trouble. You're She's going to love the lab story. No, I'm in trouble. you're going to love no because those no. guys pay attention to everything. I know. Oh yeah. Yeah, they, they, uh, well, once we're done, I'll tell you my uh, lane story. But yeah, yeah but like, I'm sure she's going to love this. She's uh, going to be just tickled pink. Yeah. You know? Um, You're opening up the 06 Raven? Um, that's delicious. That is um, delicious. Oh. We're, oh, it's about Domaine Le Galantin. So he's a, like, he's an old timer. He's in the same Achille, like Aeschylus, you know, Achille Pascal. Mm-hmm. He's just an old Provencal farmer. Beautiful, beautiful terrace vineyards. He's in Le Plan de Castellet. If you're a fan of Domaine Tampier, you know it's the same town. Mm. And what 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 the Tampier, the the Pejo family did mm-hmm. in Tampier, and he's not even he wasn't even from there. You know, Lucien was not from there. His wife was from there, but that okay. was like a country house. Yeah. These were very sophisticated people. The people like <laughs> Pascal, like my guy, yeah. they were the typical. They were just farmers, right? They, you know, they right. you know like how do you make wine? Right. I am not exaggerating. When I went there, he had Pascal had had. Uh, Learned everything from from Tampier. Like he taught these people how to make wine because they were just growing grapes, right? Mm. But when I went there, how you like had, me now? He had dirt floors. 
in the winery. He had these big, big old foutre that were probably – he had never cleaned them. You know, Talk about pretty, natural wine. It was very – yes, there you go. I'm sure I should have that style now because all the natural wine Exactly, oh, man. Great. Oh, my it's, God. It's so fucking dirty. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> Britannomyces. We're just going to say, what did percent Is this made with grapes or Britannomyces? <laughs> but the, but the wines were so rustic and they were they were still really great. Right. It's like talk about great terroir. The the you had to do so little to those wines mm-hmm. just to like make wine out mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in the south of France, do very little, grow great grapes, do very little, and you're going to have good wine. White wine, different story completely. That, that's not right, so easy. Right, but right. red wines, they, they were delicious. I've tasted some of those wines back to when we started. I have an 87. They mm. were so nice. They sent me a bottle, a Magnum bottle of 87. I don't know when the time. In 10 years from now when we do like the follow-up podcast, oh, I'll yeah. open up the 87 bandle. But, uh, but, you know, really good wines. Now, his son and daughter took over. Okay. Son runs the vineyard. Daughter runs the winery. Okay. She's uh, – Celine has made wines in like New Zealand and in Italy. She's traveled. Right. She paved the floor. She cleaned the barrels. The wines are still great. <laughs> but she really – she you know, you she, she you, understood. The dirt floors are dope because you can just spit. You don't have to look for any spit. You can oh, just, you, you can just, spit anywhere. Yeah, you just, you just let you – know, Well, I had, I, I had some funny spitting stories when I when – I, you got to learn to spit when you get into this business. Right? Uh, That's yeah. the first thing you yeah, learn. Yeah. But uh, I had a fun, some funny spitting stories. Like the personality of the winemaker really impacted like how you spat in each of those places. Okay. So like I will never forget this guy, Guy Steinmeier. Now, I don't know how this German guy got to the Southern Rhone, but he had a beautiful winery. So I'd already been like tasting with people by that point. This is what I, you know, this was in, uh, in 87. I'm, I'm in the Rhone. You just spit anywhere. Right. I, like they just say spit. You know, you didn't have to, you didn't look for the crash war. He spit on the floor. I did that and he like gave me like devil's eyes. It's like, you spit over here. He lost his shit. He totally lost <laughs> he his shit. He got very German on you. He got so German on me. <laughs> and then, but then it was funny. And then you just, pour, you, you just dumped your glass. There was another property I worked with in Lyrac. When I started, when I came back, I had a pretty small portfolio. I had like 12, 12 wineries I was okay. working with. Three of them were from Lyrac. Okay. I was just enamored with Lyrac. It's still a great area. I mean, try to sell those wines now. Not so easy. But I worked with a property called Chateau de Segrias. And it was run by this very, very eccentric count. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> fucking never, count. The fucking <laughs> count? Well, the, the count, the Comte de Regis, R-E-G-I-S, the name Segrias was an acronym of his name. And he was... Very well put together, except he, you know, like everyone down there, he's wearing these espadrilles, totally torn to shreds. His toenails were all done up. I will never forget the sight of his red toenails. He was, he was really an interesting guy. But everyone said, you've got to meet this guy. You've got to meet this guy. He makes this outrageous wine. So I, I went to visit him. There, he gave you a, like, you know, the tiniest amount in your glass. Gave you a thimbleful. Thimbleful. <laughs> and when you finished it, you dare, did not dare pour it out. You poured it back in the vat. It was like burgundy. Like every drop was so precious. It was so funny. It's like every, every winery just had a different kind of spitting, like, <laughs> you know, procedure. It was funny. How's, so much how's that for some natural wine? A little bit of saliva back into the mix you for know, you. <laughs> 
the wonderful thing about about traveling in the wine world is that you really connect the human element to the wine to the product. This is very much the thing about this the, is fucking creamy one, too. One I of the, the things one of the things that so impressed me. So not long after I started working with the Crankles, he had a harvest party, mm-hmm. which is so cool. It was so much fun, and all kinds of people, like restaurant people there, vineyard people there. And it's not like you only – you go to so many different events. If you've gone to like trade events, you know, you only drink like their wine. Right. You know? No, not at the Crankles. He had wines from Austria, from France. That's what I love about – Such a wide A range. lot of winemakers in California. They he think, loves yeah, Northern yeah, Rhone wines. Yeah, yeah. And he drinks those wines and he makes his wines. And, you know, you want to have that kind of broad palate. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what Manfred brings to the table. And that's why I think one of the reasons – because it's all about taste, right? Yeah. That's one of the reasons I think swines are so brilliant. Yeah. No, you And have. they've really stayed the test of time. They really have. Absolutely. Um, all, it, all, all shit besides, you yeah. know, whatever. With Like I said, I'm being like, like, don't throw shade. Like, these no. wines, these wines are built for the long haul. They're built for the long haul, but they're, they're great regardless. They, as I say, they go the test of time. Exactly. Um, it's just beautiful. I mean, just the aromatics. The aromatics. That's the thing. Yeah. You get a, a, a bottle, you're like, I mean, you don't even have to drink this wine. You nope. can just smell it. You can just smell it. Well, that was always a dream of mine. I want to have the the aroma dinner party. Mm. You don't need anything. Everything is smelled. That would be the sexiest dinner party. The food, the wine, it's only smell. Oh, my God. Just got a big hit of the uh, anise. <clears throat> there. And, you know, I love – we had, a, I had mm. a guest on and he brought – we brought a couple of young Rhone wines. Uh-huh. My, my buddy, he brought a uh, – we, 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 we brought a Jeunesse. Charvin for the, from the Southern Rhone mm-hmm. and a Jabalay, uh, for the Northern Rhone. Right. And I remember, same producer, I have, I have a, I'm fortunate to have a team of amazing producers, but my producer was in there and like, we poured her the Charvin especially and she put it on, like, and like her face like crunkled up, like she had never smelled anything like this. She's it's laughing right like, now. It moved, yeah, right. It moved, like, like, it's like, it's like, and like, it did, well, and, and, she, and this, with this one, she just did the same thing. It's like, oh my God. It's yeah. the aromatics. It's man. the aromatics. Just blow you away. Yeah. And, and that's when, and like, so much pleasure in it. So much pleasure. Listen, um, right? Oh my God. I just, I saw, you remember when Sephora opened and they had that, that bar? Like you go to the front. Yes. I used to go to the friend of mine. We just like smell shit. Right, right, right. It's so much fun. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love that. I know. I love smells. That's like, well, that's luckily, a, I guess like I'm in the right place. You, you are in the right business. Yeah, you like yeah. smells. I love smells. Oh my God. Um, they, and I've said this recently, um, uh, uh, music and, and, Particularly aromas are some powerful anchors. Yeah. They, they will take you back to just like these oh, moments. Well, okay. So I was just telling about the sh- uh, Chateau de Segrias. Mm-hmm. True story. I was at a friend of mine's house uh, two weeks ago, and the property still exists. The, the count passed away, and the property was sold. You say count. I'm sorry. I just think of uh, Sesame count Street. Trocula? No, <laughs> count Trocula. No. One bottle of Sinecronon. Yes. <laughs> Two bottles of Canaan. I just think of that count. But he, he was a the Count de Pages was a country count. You know, he was yeah like, with 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 painted like toenails and busted espadrilles. Exactly, exactly. He didn't care. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't give a shit. He didn't give a fuck before no. people didn't give a fuck. So here's the thing, my friend. I'm a count. Damn it. My friend bought a bottle of his Lyric. Okay. Recent recent bottle, a couple of years old, like 19, 2019 vintage. I tasted that wine. I swear, I could have cried. It. it Took me to that place mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. There is such a specific quality to mm-hmm. Lyrac 
and to his place. Mm-hmm. And it just – and I'm an honest taster. I, I, I don't say <laughs> shit that's not true. I, I just hate that. Oh, yeah, I really get the uh, scent of, I don't know, whatever, the Seychelles Islands. I, come on. you know. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. I'm like – It's there. It's there. It's like, and if somebody says something, it's like, like so, I don't know. I don't smell that. This wine is ass. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, sorry. Did I say that out loud? Do I not have honest. a filter? <laughs> you got to be honest. Yeah. You got to be honest. I mean – because that's what it's about. It's like that, that immediate connection. Anyway, that wine was so – it was so true. It was so true to terroir. I, I, that just blew me away. And a different owner even. Mm-hmm. Clearly like making good wines there. But it, it, it stays. That, that, that doesn't change. So you've Fads also – Fads and trends. And stuff. Yes. I, I love that. Talk about like, 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 yeah. like there's always going to be fads and trends. But there's always. something always. about just having a well – made wine that will stand the test of time yeah yeah and you don't even know that initially you pull the cork right. i opened a bottle last night um terrific young couple in uh santa barbara area and i'd had the wine uh pinot noir and event uh they were buying grapes and making wine and then they, right. they started planting as you do as you do and um i remember having this wine at their place it was just the fourth leaf pinot noir and i'm going you guys are great but like this this is just not ready for prime time. But I bought some because, you know, I want to support them. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're buying the other wines. And they're buying – and they're getting grapes from really good vineyards. So the wine had been sitting, you know, sitting in my cellar for a while, 2018 vintage. Wine was fantastic. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> and, like, and honestly, tasting it when it was just, you know, coming out of the barrel, it's like, yeah, I don't know if it's really there. Now, maybe they did know. But I didn't know. Right. You, you, you got to be humble. Yeah. You have to be. You, you don't know. And that's what's amazing about like, you know, the great chateau. And I think that's why there's, there is a, a big value in that. But it's, it's not the only game in town. I've been very surprised by some modest wines. One of the first regions I brought some wines in from was the Coteau de Trikestan, which people don't really know. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Trikestan is just north of the Rhone, of the southern Rhone. Okay. Um, and again, it was, it was just so appealing to me because like all these Rhone grapes, same terroir basically, but a lot cheaper mm-hmm. and a lot of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So one of the wines I was bringing in was Domaine Saint-Luc and this is 1995 vintage. I had been working with him for a while and my first daughter was born. Okay. And, uh, of course I had to give her a wine middle name. Her middle name is Syrah. I Aww. just love Syrah. Well, I also wanted to give her a name. My my favorite grandpa was named Sam, so I wanted to do something with Sam, and I said, "Sam, da da da." I said, "No, I should give her a wine name." So I, I yeah, connected. So took it. The S, yeah. I kind of took the S. Yes, I took the S. So he made a special label for her. This is just Coteau de Tricastan, and he did a special Syrah cuvee. So he did a cuvee Chloe Syrah. My daughter's name is Chloe, and I bought like a whole bunch of cases of it. You know, it's like whatever. It's like this is Coteau de Tricastan. Okay. Yeah. Right. We had a bottle of it last year. It was amazing. It was amazing, delicious. Fruit was alive, great color. You know, you don't know. You don't know. I don't. And I've had you didn't bring a fucking bottle. I don't know. I, well, but like, but I can't like, bring you everything. I know, Jay. but but I but but I know. <laughs> but I love that. Don't you love that surprise? Yes. I do. Like I, people don't get. There's so many like Lots wines from like there. Spain and and France, the old world, to say where like 
okay, it might be like a fifteen or twenty dollar bottle, but that shit can last for twenty fucking years. Yeah, yeah. And you're like blown away by it's well made because it's well made, well made and balanced. I mean, right. you do learn that well, this wine's really balanced. It could really, it could really do its thing. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I have, I have learned. Um, when wines start out not balanced, they don't ever come into. Yeah, balance. it's really hard. I've had at least like these hard ass like super tannic wines. They don't come around. Nope. You think they do, and then you come ten years later. It's like it's still super tannic, badass, and it's like not fun. Yeah. Wine starts out no fun, dies no fun. Yeah. <laughs> Put that on my tombstone. Really. <laughs> so you also do some work in in Burgundy, uh, Omri Clerk from Polini. Yeah. Well, how'd yeah. that happen? Well, roll it back. So, you know, I wanted to do everything myself. <laughs> it's like, I am going to be like, I'm going to find the wines. I'm going to bring them here. I'm going to sell them directly. But, you know, after, I don't know, five years of that, I realized, God, you can't be everywhere at the same place. I, I can't be, you know, can't be talking to MJ, sell them to that restaurant and be, you know, in France. So I did, I did start working with some trusted people and, okay. um, it was an agent that I've been working with uh, for a while, Russell Herman. And he introduced me to Bernard Clare, who inherited the property from Henri Clare and located right in the center of, uh, of Pulini. Big ass, incredible holdings. Uh, he is retired. And dare I say, he was smart not to trust his children to take over the property. Mm. And he basically leased out all of his vineyards to uh, Vincent Girardin. Oh, okay. So that's who makes the wines. Now. Okay. That's okay. Great. And they're a great operation, and that's great. And the, the vineyards are there. And again, fabulous terroir, fabulous old vineyards. Um, so we're working with we're working with them. Uh, recent discovery in Burgundy is Uber Verdero. I don't know if we uh, can touch on that a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, we can talk. This is your oh, okay. episode of the Black Wine oh, Guy experience. Just... <clears throat> I had heard of, I had heard about his wines. Here's a guy, again, started as a sommelier, mm -hmm. half Alsatian, half Burgundian. Ooh, yeah, interesting very background. Interesting, yeah, very interesting wow. background. He's, he's, he's working at like Michelin three-star restaurants. And he goes, you know what? I want to make wine. And he goes back. His, his uh, grandpa had a, a monopole in Pomard. What? He had a monopole, wow. Colombier. Okay. Uh, and he goes, well, I'm going to start from there. I'm going to buy some grapes. He's super small, fantastic wines. He's actually the head of the Comité of Burgundy now, <laughs> to which I can only say nobody wanted that fucking job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, give, it to, give it to Mikey. Give it yeah. to the new guy. It's Mikey. He but likes the wine, it. <laughs> the wines are brilliant, just like small, handcrafted. So, yeah, I look, I've worked with a lot of producers there. Uh, I've worked with Chandon de Briaille when mom ran it, uh, Robert Arnoux. That was a Chatterton property. Okay. Uh, the, when, when the when the son-in-law uh, son took over Pascal Lachaud, so yeah, I've had my ups and downs in Burgundy. It's, a, it's kind of a minefield, you know. Uh, but there's great wines there, and but you just have to really, really pay attention. As someone who does this for a living, um, what, like you said, it's a minefield. What I mean, what is it about, and particularly. White Burgundy. Why? What? What would you say? Why does the Chardonnay grape just reach its highest expression in Burgundy? Well, isn't that the history of all these grape varieties in different parts of France? I mean, when you read the history, that was not the only game in town. 
They're planning all kinds of stuff. There's still Pinot Blanc pops up in all kinds of crazy places. You you know, obviously, you know who Jim Clenenden was. Yeah. He thought Pinot Blanc was 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 uh, superior to Chardonnay, and could be. And Kermit Lynch has also said he Kermit Lynch has said somewhere I read that um, Alagote is the best expression of the terroir of Burgundy. Ah! Well, certain parts of it. Yeah. So when I worked with Chandon de Briay, mm-hmm. she was another aristocrat, Madame de Nicolet. Her, her daughter runs it now. Uh, she made a wine that was all Pinot Blanc, mm-hmm. but she didn't label it that way. Mm. <laughs> but it pops up. Uh, the other night, I was drinking a um, a white Moray Saint-Denis. Okay. Tiny from Clerget. Okay. Uh, wine we used to bring in. It Just tasting it, I know it had Pinot Blanc in it. My, my point about all this is that, you know, there are a lot of different grapes in these places. Yeah. And, you know, why did all the Gamay get pulled up? Because they said it was like a stinkweed, and you know, I don't know. I don't. I wonder what Gamay would be like in a Grand Cru vineyard. I mean, it's not going to happen because, like, the economics, right? Right. Just like with Napa, like, yeah, like we're we're pulling happen. up all the Italian varietals, and we're going to plant fucking Cabernet because we can get well, fifteen thousand. I mean, California is the most okay. Crankles really understand the terroir of California, although Manfred does not believe in terroir in California. Right. So he said to me, but. uh I mean, that place is completely planted incorrectly. You've got a Mediterranean climate yep. with Bordelais grapes. Exactly. I mean, that's a little back ass word. It is. It's, I mean, it, you do find, like, you know, you find some really interesting Cabernet in certain places in the south of France as a blending grape with like Grenache and Syrah. And that's fascinating. Right. But like 100% Cabernet, could you imagine like buying like 100% Cabernet from the Cote d'Azur of, in, in France? Like you'd say, get out of here. That's like the stupidest mind. thing. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It, it just doesn't make sense. But like that's what happened there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I – It's like such a weird disconnect. I tell people – listen, I love Calitalis. Give me all those Italian varietals in California. And Rhone. And Rhone. Rhone. Exactly. Rhone. And Rhone. And listen, listen, listen. Napa should be like – that's where the Italians went, right? Like Mondavi's, yeah. Yeah. Barbera, Sangiovese. But like why the fuck do you think the parents went to Paso Robles? Yeah. Rocks. Calcareous soils. But how about Tempranillo? How about how oh, exactly. about oh my god. How about Graciano? Gracia- and the whole thing with Graciano he's was mislabeled. Big, I know. He's a big fan. I know. He's a big so fan. So is Justin Smith. Justin Smith so, was Justin Smith was guys like I don't think he's like I don't think this is fuck he's like I think this is Graciano. He said no Dave's like they were mislabeled for years like this is Graciano. Yeah. 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 Great acidity from warm climate. Exactly. It makes it makes so much sense. But so you get, you know, game, why Chardonnay in, in Burgundy? Yeah. Because they're working it. The yeah. monks are working it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of yeah. starts with them because, yeah. you know, yeah. they like to drink and whatever. Uh, <laughs> get into trouble. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, look, they figured it out. And, and the French really respect that. They yeah. really respect terroir. Like, we're going to grow this grape here because it, it right. really works well. Right, right. I mean, I don't want to, like, just shit on a whole – on all of California. That's just not fair. There no, are some I love serious California. people there. But we know a lot of right. the California wine industry was driven by money. Yeah. You know, some really wealthy ophthalmologist. Nothing wrong with that because I get my eyes checked all the time. We, I would tell people. But it's like, you know, I discovered some kind of this like is thing. America. I made a Let's, billion dollars. No, right. And it's like, I want to make, I want to make, you know, Grand Cru Burgundy in California, uh, even though it doesn't belong here. You should be making, you know, the best shadow of the pop you ever made in California. Absolutely. It's it's kind of like that. It's like Absolutely. the money that drives it right. versus the farming that drives it. Yeah. 
and people it should be about the farming, right? Yeah, people I mean, get it's, mad it's an at me. Cultural product. Thank you for saying. It. People get I, I, some people get mad at me. Like, oh, Napa's all now not all about money. I'm like, motherfucker. People go make three hundred million from some startup, and then no they track hire, record. They hire and, Michelle Roland or somebody exactly. like that. And I'm going to resell wine, and it's going to be four hundred bucks a bottle yeah. out the gate. Yeah, out the gate. Right. That's the other thing. I mean, this is turnoff. Yeah. Like, why is it four hundred dollars a bottle? Yeah. You've got you, you've got some farmer that's been toiling exactly you know, every day, all day in right. the vineyards. Like right. he's not like clipping his nails, sitting in the spot. Exactly. He's like getting his fingers dirty, right? And he's doing that. He's working really hard. And and this is the the thing, the beauty that I learned when I when I lived in France is like this is the piece of dirt that I've inherited. I've got so much respect for it. It could be in the most dipshit bout de monde, end of the world place in france mm. but doesn't make a difference this has been in my family f- and for generations and i'm going to make the best wine that i can make from it i'm going to grow the best grapes right. and make the best wine because like that's what i'm driven to do mm-hmm. it's just a, such a different mentality oh my god you know it's 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 pure craft it, it's that is that is pure terroir that is human terroir which for me is such an important part of the whole the whole story it's it's not, it's not about you know calcareous soil and and rainfall and right. eastern exposure. No, that's at the end of the day, I don't give a fuck that shit. I mean, like that's it's it, it impacts, it's important and impacts it, but it impacts it, but, it, but right, it doesn't right, make it. Right, it doesn't make it. The hands make it exactly. And the mind makes it. Yep. The the tongue makes it. The palate. The the, the vision. The vision makes it, yeah. You know, and that's the difference. And you look, there's plenty of bad wine made in France, lots of it. Oh yeah, you know, and people don't know what the fuck they're doing. But I never forget uh, that the same the Domaine Saint Luc. I've been working with him for years. Mm-hmm. Ludovic Corneille. He started his life as a hairdresser. <laughs> I swear <laughs> to God, it's absolutely true. The guy had an impeccable palate. So I was like, Ludovic, you know, we've been working together for years. And your wines are just impeccable. I'm from like these crappy Appalachians. Like, what's the secret? He goes, three things, Victor. The taste, the taste, taste. <laughs> it's like, you just, you just like keep tasting those barrels. You keep tasting those barrels. You, you learn what the land is giving you. And then you'll make a great wine. You just like, just learning it. You're just, and you're in the vineyard all the time. That's why, you know, the millionaire ophthalmologist is never going to make a great wine. Make a good wine. He'll make a solidly yeah. tasty, yeah. good wine. Yeah. He's never going to make a great wine because yeah. he's not in it. Yep. You've got to be in it. Yep. And that's true of any craft, isn't it? Yep. The best restaurateurs, the best, I don't know, best cabinet makers. They're you're making great stuff because they're doing it. It, it, it. You have to be connected. You can't do it. You can't dial it in. Right. Right. Even, and, and it's so funny. The best, like, real DJs, like, you're – you're not a fucking DJ if you have a computer, a Mac with these fake like, but like real DJs were pressing vinyl, right? Right. Still pressing vinyl in the 2000s. Yeah. They were, you know. Yeah. Um, right. You once said that the spirit of discovering the undiscovered is the guiding principle and underlying strength of VOS selections to this day. Yes, absolutely. And it, it's amazing. The wine world just keeps. There's always something to discover. You know, there's, it's 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 a limitless horizon. You know, and, it's, and that's what keeps me going. It's really, really fun and interesting. And you discover, like, wow, I didn't know this part of Greece was making wine and how they're making it. And then, of course, oh, this just happened to me we, last fall. We went up to the Finger Lakes. You have these old regions like the Finger Lakes, mm-hmm. re- relatively old. 
to me, it's the most exciting, most vibrant wine region happening. There's so much cool shit. I went to school up there, as you know, right? And the wines were there's yeah. a couple of good people up right, there, right. you know, but, but, but now it's like so far. So these old places, it's like when Greece was coming back, like, you know, one of the oldest wine country plant in on the yeah. planet, right? Yeah. It was, it's, it's completely a renaissance of, yeah. of winemaking there. And you see that again and again and again. And that's, that is just, that's fabulous. That's just so fascinating and exciting, you know? So you're, it, it's discovery and rediscovery, perhaps. I love that. You know? I love that. Yeah. So what's next for VOS? Um, perhaps alcohol-free. You were caught in New York Times. You yeah. said, yeah. I dipped my toe in the water. I was amazed at how much is going on in the alcohol-free zone. I'm already working on expanding that category. My talk, yeah. talk, talk, talk yeah. about that. Because I was actually talking to someone today about like millennials drink like hard seltzer. Like, but like, and I've seen this shit. There's shit like they'll sell you three bottles of like. A non-alcoholic beverage and it's beautifully packaged in a wax cap. Yeah, yeah. But like for seventy bucks or some shit, they ain't got no fucking alcohol. Like, well, well, no, it can't be that. But, but like, crazy. but like, what? Yeah, talk about well, that. Well, you know, look, I'm learning myself about it. It seems like they're figuring out the technology. It's like, you know, maybe that's a it's a dirty word to say technology, but you know, wine is made, <laughs> like it or not. It doesn't doesn't jump off the the grapes don't jump off the vine into the bottle. Although some people want to. <laughs> Act as if that's true. It's it's a combination of, of humans and nature, right? Mm-hmm. This takes it another step. There's no question about it. But they're figuring out how to make really a clean, flavorful, varietally interesting mm-hmm. wine. I can't say that anything I've tasted rivals wine. Like I'm going to drink that instead of mm-hmm. the sine qua non. Yep. You know, I'm going to have the alcohol free from South Africa yeah. or, the, or the or the or the 2006 Raven Syrah from sine qua non. No, we're not there. I, I don't know if it's ever going to get there. But you know, think about like what you know. The, think about like Asimov's article last week in the Times, which. So many people have been talking about it. I mean, like non-wine people. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to like all, all these like, college friends of mine. Fitcher, I just saw this article. Did you read that? You know, <laughs> look, clearly this is a, a generation that's got a lot of choices. Yeah. And, and they're not just, oh, I'm a beer drinker. Uh, I'm a kombucha drinker. I'm just, uh, they, they don't define themselves that way. And they have a lot of, and tonight I'm drinking kombucha and tomorrow I'm drinking a, you know, a 15% craft beer that does taste like ass. <laughs> some of those, some of those beers. Um, it costs a lot of money. Uh, or uh, what drink? a racket, man! Oh, I don't know. Fucking I, twenty great. bucks for four uh, cans higher, of wine. Go up, go I know, higher, I know, but higher. still, I mean, still. So, so, but the point is, it's it's become very interesting, right? And another night, I don't feel like having. I want to drink something, but I don't want to drink any alcohol because I got a, you know, I got a five k in the morning. So I think it, it fills a very interesting place. And if I can do more there, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's another interesting beverage. It, it wine's my first love. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But look, you know, we were one of the first like serious wine companies to get into to spirits. Mm. Okay. I'm doing an Armagnac dinner on Sunday. Oh, nice. We're really like pushing the envelope. I mean, we're going to like, not like dinner, like we're drinking Armagnac with, with the food. Yeah. 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 We're yes. not just drinking some Armagnac. So, I mean, like, but that's fun. It all comes back to the table for me. And that's the whole thing. Can I drink this at the table? Does it work with my what I'm cooking? That's what it's all about. Wow. I'm going to stop right there. That's dope. It all comes back to the table. Okay. Victor, thank you so much for oh, uh, this is fun. coming here, man. This is so much fun. I could talk to you for like three more hours. This went fast. Yeah, this went exactly. Yeah. 20 minutes? <laughs> Tell it people- must have been the wine. <laughs> um, 
I feel like I'm the only one drinking. I'm like, damn, I'm the only drinking. Um, tell people where they can find you, how they can be a part of what's going on at VOS Selections. Well, I guess the best place to come is our website www.voselections.com You can follow them uh, on Instagram at oh, voselections.com Oh, God. I'm going to get you got to get yelled at by yeah, my social yeah, media person. Exactly. Amber's yes, we're be. doing a lot of stuff on Instagram. That's a whole new thing for me. Yep. I'm doing all these cooking videos. Yep. Uh, look for our reels on Sunday. We do a cooking reel every Sunday. Okay. I love cooking. I love eating and drinking wines with I'm that. coming to your so, house for some dinner sometime. Uh, we're going we're to hang out. We're going to do that. Yeah. We're going to do that, MJ. Yeah. Absolutely. Love that. Well, thanks again for being here. For all my listeners, Please don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. That's where you'll find out the info on the wines we drank today. You'll also have uh, uh, the links to the websites and uh, where you can find them on social. So, everybody, um, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I think, again, we had another guest that checks off all our boxes to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the deep thinkers, and definitely to us wine drinkers out there. Everybody, peace. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. 